Blog Talk Radio. And it's just you and me in 
now
door a lot lately. So I'm just using this as an anthem because it's the scripture. It talks about the one day. Better is the one day, one day in your house. And that tense of the wicked thing is the scripture right there. We'd rather be a doorkeeper. Think of your, think of, think of what it's like really when you're dwelling right in the grip of the wicked one. That grossness that grips our soul and robs us of life. And this is an anthem, an anthem of freedom. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. All right, well, welcome back to another edition of Prayer International Radio. Just having a blast here, you know. That song is actually Keith and Son of Luker doing, uh, actually, it's Psalm 8410. But they turned it into a song, kind of spontaneous deal. But, you know, one thing I love about Psalm 8410 is it just shows David's heart towards God. His heart towards setting himself apart, saying, hey, I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. The Jerusalem Bible says it like this. It says, I'd rather merely stand on the steps of God's house And that's better than living with the wicked. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You know, we sing that other song, better is one day in your courts. But, you know, David had a passion. He, he, his desire for God was singleness, singleness of heart, singleness of mind. He had tunnel vision when it came to the things of God, when it came to his relationship with God, he was tunnel vision. And his heart sought God, and his mind sought God, and his psalms, his songs, the work that he did, just the way that he ruled as a king. Yeah, he had some hiccups and some issues and some sin and some problems along the way. Just like we all do. But he knew when it came to God, when it came to his God, there was no comparison to the world. There's no comparison to the wicked. I'm going to read Psalm 84, then we're going to go into some more worship, and then we'll get into our message. I just had to share Psalm 84 for a minute. It says, How I love your palace. Now, I'm going to read this in the Jerusalem Bible, so just bear with me here. 
But it says, how I love your palace. Some say, how I love your courts, your gates. How my soul yearns and pines for Yahweh's courts. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The sparrow has found its home at last. The swallow a nest for its young. Your altars, Yahweh. My king and my God are those who live in your house. Those who can praise you all day long. Happy are the pilgrims inspired by you. Those who, with courage, make a sense. As they go through the valley of the weeper, as they make it a place of springs clothed in blessings by the early rains. Thence they make their way from height to height soon to be seen before the God of Zion. Yahweh, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. God, our shield, now look on us and be kind to your anointing. A single day, here's that scripture, a single day in your courts is worth more than a thousand elsewhere. Merely to stand on the steps of God's house is better than living with the wicked. For God is a battlement and a shield conferring grace and glory. Yahweh withholds nothing good from those who walk without blame. Yahweh, happy is the man who puts his trust in you. What's David saying? Look, he he knew who his God was. This guy knew who his God was. He loved being in the place where God's presence was. Being in the courts of God, just being in the presence of God, he had a confidence. He said, my heart, my flesh, they sing for joy for the living God. He knew. He knew God is alive. God was alive in the earth, and God was alive by his spirit. And for David, God was alive in his heart. Is he alive in your heart? Is he alive? We celebrate Resurrection Week. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday, declaring Jesus is alive. He's risen. But is he alive in your life? Is he alive in your heart? Or is it just a dead religion? See, Christianity is... Pardon the expression, Jesus. Christianity is worthless if God's not alive in your heart. David knew. He said, look, happy are the people that are inspired by you who bring streams and make them in the desert. He said, hear my prayer. Listen to me, Lord. Be kind to your anointed. He, He knew God's kindness. He knew God's love. He knew this. He said, Yahweh, happy are those who put their trust in you. He was just talking to God. He was just talking to God. God, the people that trust you are so happy because they know they have a living hope because they know their substance of life isn't based on what they see, what they touch, what they taste, what they handle, what they go through, because at the end of the day, no matter how ugly it gets, no matter how blessed it seems, no matter how wonderful the day was or how crappy the day was, Jesus is still on his throne, and he's still praying, 
and he's still declaring, he's still petitioning and interceding to the Father for you and for me and for all those that's in the name of the Lord. And as long as he's on his throne, and as long as we put our trust in him, our God will not fail us. He has never failed us. He's not going to start now. Awesome. More, more. More. More? Yeah, more. So praise Jesus. So that was Psalm 84. That was my little exhortation for a minute. I'm going to kick it into gear. I've got to actually uh, pause for just a little bit. I'm going to throw some worship on. I want you to think about what I'm talking about. Think about what I'm saying. Are you happy in God? Are you putting your trust in God? We're going to talk about Passover. Tonight's the night. We're going to raise our cups. Raise our cups, and we're going to break the bread. We're going to celebrate. Yeah, we're going to have communion on the air. Really? We're going to do we're going to do a Passover on the air. So we're going to put on some music. It's not going to be some festive Jewish stuff because I don't have any of that in my playlist. But it's going to be good. So praise Jesus. The the idea is celebrate the Lord. Don't celebrate your traditions. Don't celebrate your religion, your denomination, or oh, it's you know yeah, it's Passover and we're going to celebrate it. But you know what? Celebrate it every day in your heart. Don't just make it about one day of the year. So hang on. We're going to just put on your seatbelt.
All right, welcome back to another edition of Prayer International Radio. Sorry about that, I was muted on the switchboard. So, you know, I wanted to try to go over, and we're going to do like a brief kind of run-through of a Passover Seder. I'm going to briefly kind of run through the Haggadah for a lack of time and just for the fact that we don't really have a Passover meal here. Uh, but we're going to go through the situation. So, you know, Passover takes place more or less after the full moon feast of what the Jewish calendar calls the month of Nisan. Now, we call it April because we go by a Roman calendar. But the Hebrew calendar, actually, this month is called Nisan. And typically, it starts around the 14th day right after the I guess like the harvest moon type situation. And more or less, Passover was God telling the Hebrew children, telling his people, remember what I did for you. Originally, it started out where they were instructed to take the blood of the lamb, smear it on the doorpost of their house. And what they would actually do is they would spell out yod he vav he they'd write out the words on the top and on the left and on the right side of the door. And they would actually write out the name of God on their door, and when the angel of death would pass over their house, they would be spared. Now I'm going to kick it into gear here. I'm going to put it on speakerphone because I'm a little more comfortable. And, uh, of course, I have to look at something while I do this. All right. So I'm on speakerphone, so hopefully you guys can hear me. And just got to look at a couple things here. Uh, so basically, we talked about the 14th day of Nisan. More or less, they call it the Feast of Freedom. And Passover, or Pesach, basically is, like I said, the feast. Now, what would happen, we talked about the fact that they would put the name of God, yod heh vav heh they'd take the Y, the H, the V, and the H, which actually typically was the Yod in Hebrew, which was like this little comma up on the top above the letters kind of thing. I don't know how to explain it. More like an explanation point with just one little. So they put the Yod on the top beam and the Vav on the right beam and the hay on the left beam. And basically what this would do is it would spell out yod hey vav hey, which was the name of God. Also, this was more or less signifying the number eight, the letter eight. And this signified life. And so this is kind of what they would do more or less so the thought was when they put the blood on their doorpost, 
the angel of death would pass over those whose homes had this marking. And this was a symbol of God's deliverance. Now, during this time, they also did what they call the eight matzah. Now, the Passover time was kind of like what we would equate to the American spring cleaning. What would happen is God would say, look, I want the mama or the ima of the house to get out all the leaven, get out all the dirt, get out all the sin, and go through the house from top to bottom and cleanse the house. And so seven days before Passover, they would start the cleansing of the house. And so we kind of equate this, and I think we've sort of passed this tradition down over the years. We call it spring cleaning in America. And in Christianize it, we talk about spiritual house cleaning. And what's funny is Passover is kind of like the Jewish New Year. It's kind of like the new birth and renewal, the cleansing. It's kind of God's deliverance and starting fresh. And so, you know, a lot of times when we have a new year, we make a new year's resolution, out with the old and with the new and so forth. And, you know, we carry on these mindsets and these traditions sometimes. Typically, that all started, God started that deal. There's nothing new under the sun. God started that deal in the month of Nisan, and he called it Pesach, he called it Passover. And the spring cleaning started when he commanded his people to cleanse and prepare themselves so that they could celebrate and honor the Lord. Now, over the years, we've sort of turn this deal into you know we read Matthew Mark Luke John we read when supper was ended he took the cup and he held it up and he said to his disciples this is the cup of my blood the cup of my blood that was written in the cup of the New Testament that was written in my blood depends on what version or what Translation of what actual book, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're reading. Because each one kind of puts it a little bit differently. But more or less, he holds up the cup. And at this time in the dinner, they're actually celebrating a Passover. And in the Passover tradition, they had four cups of wine that they drank to celebrate what God had done. And the first cup was the cup of deliverance, and the second cup hang on, I just lost my train of thought there. Nevertheless, we'll jump back to the second cup in a minute. But Jesus takes up the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. He holds it up and he says, this is a cup. Now these guys have been doing this tradition for years. This is what they've done. This is what they knew. They knew this is what you do. They didn't expect Jesus to throw a wrench in it and hold up the cup and start talking about his blood. 
Start talking about spilling his blood and going to the cross. Start talking about this New Testament. They didn't understand his new covenant. What? What are you talking about, Rabbi? What are you talking about, teacher? This isn't what good Jewish people do during Passover. But the whole idea of Jesus kind of leans back. And I want to emphasize this. I talked about this the other night. Jesus leans back. And you know, in Passover, one of the questions is like, why do we lean back? Why do we sit around and talk about the stories of God's deliverance? Especially one of the, you know, they've got four cups and four questions, and they go through this tradition. And so we'll talk about that. So basically, here they are. And Jesus is sitting around. He's talking to the disciples. Talking about Passover. And it gets to the four cups. And on the third cup, he stops everything and he gets into this talking about him going to the cross. And when I go away, I'll send you a comforter. And he starts talking to them about all these things going on. What's going to happen? And all of a sudden, they get overcome with fear in their hearts. Just kind of melt. Because, you know, they've been walking with Jesus for three years. They bonded and built a relationship with him. And now he's going to go away. He's going to get down to a Roman cross. Says, drink this. Drink my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He holds up that piece of matzah and he breaks it. And they're looking at this matzah. The matzah, if you don't know, it's a big square piece of, it's like a giant cracker, really. Flat bread, hard flat bread. But it's grilled and it's burned in these ovens. And when it's grilled, it's got all these stripes on it. And then it's pierced a certain way. Pressed a certain way where it's got all these holes in it. When you look at it, you can see a perfect representation. Jesus was pierced. Listen, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 53. You know, we're doing the blood, talking about the blood. The blood will never lose its power. Oh, the blood of Jesus. And there's a reason I put those songs on because You know, we do this thing in Christianity called communion. And really, it was what we sort of changed Passover into to, I guess, traditionalize our Christianity. I guess narrow it down on the basic focus on the main thing. And so the deal with it is, is that when we drink the juice or the wine or whatever you got, if you're Baptist, you probably drink grape juice. If you're Catholic, 
You probably drink wine if you're Jewish. You probably drink kosher wine. And if you're an alcoholic, you probably drink a lot of wine. So, nevertheless, this is the deal. So whether you got the juice or you got the wine, the whole idea is this. You're partaking in the blood. You're you're remembering and you're identifying with the blood that was shed for your sin. The blood that was shed for your healing. The blood that was shed so you could have access to God by the Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed so that you could have a communion and relationship and talk to God. And you didn't have to go through all these deals to get to God because when Jesus' blood was shed, the veil was torn in two. And no longer did God live in temples dwelt with human hands, made with human hands. But he lived in the human heart. The spirit, really. Physical organ. But inside of his people. You're the temple. I'm the temple. If you're his. And so the blood will never lose its power. And today I declare to you that it's not your good work. It's not your church affiliation. It's not your church membership. It's not how long you've been to church. It's not if you went every Sunday and didn't miss one. And it's not about, oh, I prayed this little prayer when I was three. It is, do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Do you declare, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done. Do you apply his blood to your life and understand that it is because of the blood of Jesus? He's that Passover lamb. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sins. And Jesus' blood was shed for you, it was shed for me. So that we could be forgiven. We could be free, delivered, and we could be friends with God and have a relationship with Him. That's why the blood was shed. God gave up a son because He wanted a family. God sowed a son to gain a family. Think about that. Even God understands the power of seed faith. (laughs) Think about what I said for a minute. It'll sink in later. So, you know, praise Jesus. Isaiah 53, I'm I'm getting there. You know, this is what we do. We remember him. We remember We remember his goodness. And you know, this isn't we're going to end up probably not really doing a big Passover deal because I want to focus on the main thing. We'll get into it, but you know the cup, okay? So the first cup, 
What is the first cat? Anybody that follows the Passover situation? Well, we've got the cup of deliverance. We've got the cup of redemption. We've got the cup of praise. You know, God's good. He's a good God. So everybody said number one, sanctification. I want you to realize God's four promises, number one. And you're going to learn this in the Passover. Number one, cup of sanctification. I will bring you out of Egypt. Bringing you out, sanctifying you, setting you apart. Remember we talked about God? David's relationship was set apart with God. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, remember? The set-apart, cup of sanctification. Two, the cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from Egyptian bondage. Are you in bondage? Are you needing deliverance from something? Does something have you ensnared? We all struggle. We all deal with things. We all fall short. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. So he is your cup of deliverance. He is your deliverer. Look to him. Number three, cup of redemption. You do a Passover Seder, you're going to drink the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, Jesus, this is the cup that they drank. And it was the fourth cup that Jesus refused to drink, which was the cup of restoration, or we also call it the cup of praise. It says, I will acquire you as my people. I will acquire you. I'll redeem you with my power, cup of redemption, and I will acquire you as my people. But Jesus said, I can't drink this cup until everything's fulfilled. I can't acquire you as my people until my blood's actually shed. Do you get it? Are you tracking with me? My wife loves when I say that. Are you tracking with me? Jesus couldn't drink the fourth cup because he hadn't shed his blood yet. And how could he acquire a lost, fallen humanity as his until he actually redeemed them? So they drank the cup of redemption. And he said, this is the cup of my blood. This is the blood that's going to redeem you so that after I redeem you in my blood, then we can celebrate and I can acquire you as my people. So the fourth cup is the cup of restoration or the cup of acquiring or the cup of praise. But it's when God makes the people in the earth a praise because they've got his glory. They've got his blood smeared on them and they've got his presence, his oil. His essence, his fragrance smeared on him. And so Jesus shed his blood. And I want you to get it. Why am I talking about this so much? 
because I want it to burn in your mind. I want it to burn in your heart. I want it to burn on the inside of you where every day you don't take it for granted. The blood of Jesus will never lose its power. The blood of Jesus has saved you from your sin. Here's your sanctification, the one that brought you out of the darkness. Here's your deliverance, the one that delivered you from bondage. Here's your redemption, the one that redeems you with his power, and he is your restoration because he acquires you as his people. Those are the four cups. You know, the word holiness, we always talk about God being holy and his people being holy. But holiness really means set apart as Kedushah. Everybody say Kedushah. <laughs> set apart. Hollowed. It means the devil's over here and you're way over here on this side. The darkness is over here, but you just came out of darkness into the kingdom of light. So you're on the other side. It's kind of like, look, I'm going to draw this line in the sand. You stay on your side of the track, and I'll stay on mine. And I don't want to be so cut and dry, white and black, but can we just say that, unfortunately, God's very white and black, very cut and dry, very to the point, and he doesn't really like mixture. And I know there's things in my own life I've got to work on to get the mixture out of me. There's things in my own life where I've got to let God be my sanctification and let the blood of Jesus, that that cup, see it. Notice it was the four cups. The cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of restoration. Why? Because his blood was in the cup. And it's his blood that does it. And if you're going to be holy, you're going to be holy by his blood. You're going to be set apart. First Corinthians one thirty, Meditate on it. I'm not going to read it. Just write it down. Praise God. The, the blood of the new covenant. The third cup. The cup of restoration. See, Jesus won't drink that cup until we're sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we're sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb, he's going to raise his glass. He promised, I won't drink it until everything's fulfilled, until I go, I won't. And so I tell you this, we're to remember him, identify with him. Do you feel it? Do you realize Put yourself in the place of the Roman soldier whose job it was to take a hammer and a nine-inch nail 
and drive it into the wrist of your Savior. And I know when I say that, it just sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? That's right. Press his hand to the wood and tie it down, the nail to his wrist. And as you pound it and drive it in, get this track with me here. That was you. That was me. That was my sin and your sin every time we sin. It's like striking, like beating that nail into his wrist. Can you feel it? Can we get to a place in our lives when we sin, we feel it? When he feels it, we feel it. When he hurts and he's disrupted about it, when it pains him, it pains us. I know God's working on me. I'm not there yet. Can you identify with him? Is he your savior? Is he your redeemer? Is he your your deliverer? Are you his people? Are you his child? Are you his daughter? Are you his son? Are you are you his? Has he acquired you? Have you stepped in? Have you stepped over? Have you said not your not my will be done, God, but your will? Not my kingdom come, God, but your kingdom come. Let this cup pass from me, God, but nevertheless, if it be your will, not my will. What cross does God call you to take up? What sacrifice is God calling you to make? He says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. But this is your reasonable service. This is your service. It's reasonable. He's not asking anything unreasonable. He's not looking at me. He's not looking at you. He's asking us to do anything unreasonable. This is your reasonable service. Just present your body. Just give yourself to me. Yeah. Coming down. I don't know if we'll get to the rest of the Passover, but you know, I do know this. We're going to get to Jesus. And Jesus even looked the Pharisees in the eyes. These religious guys who said, you search the scriptures. You're all good with your Bible, your scripture on your forehead. Oh, you've memorized it good. You're so religious. You've done so good. I'm so proud of you. You memorized your Bible. But you know what? It, it's There's not life in the Bible. It's, it's, it's me that there's those scriptures. It's me that that Bible, it's me that that Old Testament, that New Testament, Jesus is saying it's me that is pointing to. And it, it's okay if you throw a wrench in the Passover, because Jesus did. Jesus threw a wrench right in it. Right in the middle of it. Just said, ooh. He didn't say ooh. He said, 
Drink up, boys. This is my blood. This is my broken body. Things are about to change. And they did. They changed big time. Now God is sitting here with you and me tonight. My wife, all of us. And Alex, everybody listening. And God's sitting with us and he's saying, drink up, children. Eat up. Eat my flesh. Eat my broken body. Identify with it. Make it part of you. See, it wasn't about eating it and drinking it. It was, let, let it be in you. Let it be a part of you. Make it part of the substance that's inside of your being. So, you know, going to read Isaiah 53, and we're going to close with this because I want it to stick in your mind. It's Good Friday coming up. Midnight Central Time. It's Good Friday on the East Coast. They already hit it. It's Good Friday somewhere in the world. And it's coming up for us in Texas Central Time. But listen, it's good for us because we're saved. Bad for Jesus at the time. Good for us because we get to have fellowship with God. We 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 have healing available to us because of that blood, because of that suffering, because of that broken body. We have deliverance, freedom made available to us because of what Jesus did. So turn in your Bibles, Isaiah 53. I know I've drugged this out. But I want it to stick. I, oh, that preacher's so redundant. He just says stuff over and over and over. Well, so did Jesus. So did God. Read your Bible. It's constantly repeating itself. Why? Because you people are hard-headed, thick-skulled. Sometimes it, it bears repeating. I'm that way, too. So don't go away offended. Say, oh, he called me hard-headed. Yeah, my wife said she's definitely that way. Amen. I agree. <laughs> this is the deal. We all need to soften up. We all need to let God soften our hard hearts, soften our hard heads, and make us pliable in his hands so he can mold us and shape us and form us in his image. See, if you get hardened, in your image, then there's no really any hope. But if you allow the Spirit of God to soften you and start to reshape you into the image that God originally intended for you to be, and you always stay pliable in God's hands, then whatever way he wants to shape or form you for the season, you stay soft and pliable. You you stay usable, teachable, open and yielded and flexible to the Spirit of God. 
whether you're rich or poor, whether you're going through a good season or a bad season, whether you've got a lot or a little. Listen, Paul said, I know how to be content in whatever state I'm in. And I know it's easier said than done. We all go through our good seasons and bad seasons. This was a bad season for Jesus. And here he was in the garden saying, God, I, I really don't want to drink this fourth cup. I really don't want let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Can you say that? We all say, oh, God, I want to be like Jesus. Do you really? (laughs) Do you really want to have nails driven through your wrist and thorns driven onto your head? Do you want to go to hell for three days and be spat on and be rejected by your own people and feel rejected by your own father? Do you really? Want to be called a criminal when you didn't even break or sin even one time? Never even sinned one time, but yet you're a criminal and a heathen and a sinner and a blasphemer? I wonder how that made Jesus feel. Do you really want to be like Jesus when you serve and love the world and all they do is take you for granted and and take what you do and spit all over it? Take what you have to give you and then run? Remember the ten blind guys? Only one of them stayed and praised them. What happened to the other nine? Why don't we, uh, I can't wait to find out what happened with their lives when we get to heaven. I'm going to ask God, God, whatever happened to those nine other guys? What did they do? Let's not be like them. Because notice they're not in the book. Notice you never found out really whatever happened with them because it really didn't matter because they took their blessing and just kind of it all over Jesus. Oh, thanks, Jesus. See ya. Do we really want to be like that? Can we be like that? Can we bless those that curse us? Pray for those that despitefully use us? Love our enemies? It's easy to love people when they're nice. What about when people are just acting like total asses? You're going to love them then? What about when you act like an ass and God still loves you? Doesn't that make you want to go love people? It makes me want to go love people because I know how much God puts up with me. And he says, now that you've been loved much, go love somebody much. That's Jesus' way. So do we really want to be like Jesus? Well, let's see what Jesus did. Isaiah 53, and I'll close with this. Who could believe what we have heard? And to whom has the power of Yahweh been revealed? Like a sapling, he grew up in front of us, like a root in arid ground, without beauty, without majesty. We saw him. He had no look to attract our eyes. In other words, he wasn't beautiful. He wasn't real pretty. My wife used to like to say that. Jesus wasn't real pretty, so to speak. At least not in this picture of him. To attract her eyes, a thing despised and rejected by men. Do you want to be that? 
That's Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. A man to make people screen their faces, hide their faces. When this guy, they would just hide their faces at Jesus. He was despised, and we took no account of him. You sure you want to be like Jesus? Despised? Nobody even remembers, even cares. And yet ours were the sufferings he bore. Our sorrows he carried. We thought of him as someone punished, dressed by God, bought low. Yet he was pierced through for our faults, crushed for our sins. On him lies the punishment that brings us peace. And through his wounds we are healed. We had all gone astray like sheep, each taking his own way, but Yahweh burdened him with the sins of us all. Harshly dealt with, he bore it humbly. You still want to be like Jesus? Harshly dealt with, but be humble about it. Just stay humble. Just love them. Just love them when they're crappy to you. You still want to be like Jesus? He never opened his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that was done before cheers, he never opened its mouth. He, they said that twice. Jesus knew how to keep his mouth shut. Sometimes we all need to learn that. I know I do. Boss horse, and by law he was taken. Now, I will say this. It says that, and yeah, they, they did come by force and by law, but Jesus himself said he laid down his life. Would anyone plead his cause? Yes, he was torn away from the land of the living. For our fault, he was struck down in death. They gave him a grave with the wicked and a tomb with the rich, though he had done nothing wrong. And there had been no perjury in his mouth. Yahweh has been pleased to crush him with suffering. If he offers his life in atonement, he shall see his heirs. He shall have a long life. And through him, what Yahweh wishes will be done. His soul's anguish is over. He shall see the light and be content. By his sufferings shall my servant justify many, taking their faults on himself. Hence I will grant whole hordes of his tributes. He shall divide the spoil with the mighty. For surrendering himself to death, letting himself be taken for a sinner, while he was bearing the fruit faults of many, and praying for the time of sinners, praying all the time for sinners. There it is. There it is. The whole time he was dealing with all this, he was praying. Praying for me, praying for you, praying for sin. So let's pray, there's your Jesus. And by his stripes you're healed, by his blood you're saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you bore the cross, that you bore our sins, that you died for us, that you rose again for us, that you suffered for us. Help us to be acquainted with your sufferings. Help us to identify with you. Save us, Jesus, from our sins. 
and lead us, Lord. Your will be done, your kingdom come. We pray for everybody listening tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Prayer International Radio. Have a blessed, blessed Passover and a good Friday. Have a good night. We will be back next couple nights. Enjoy your resurrection weekend. We'll be praying for you. And we just ask that you continue praying for us.